We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is True Faith Weekly Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst and I'm joined by Andrew Bolland on the phone. Hello, Bolland. Hello, Don. Hello. This is the third third show this week. Uh, can't stop talking about football. The Benitez effect. <laughs> uh, so we'll have Monday's podcast, which is Derby Reaction. Uh, I hope you've all listened to that. Then I did an excellent uh, short half-hour podcast with Colin Whittle and Peter Fanning of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust last night. Really interesting. Please have a listen to that. It's far more important the work that the Trust and other Trusts around the country are doing than a lot of people realise. And there's already the effects of... Uh, you know, supporter engagement are already evident with the, the reduction of the away tickets in the Premier League to thirty pounds each next season. So please have a listen in and, and take on board what we're saying. There's a lot of misconce- misconceptions about the trust, which the guys at the trust are really uh, hoping to break down with their upcoming public conference in April. So yeah, that's all on SoundCloud. You can follow us on SoundCloud, follow us on Twitter at tfweeklypod. We'll tweet more details. And you can also, we also kind of engage a little bit with the True Faith Facebook page, so you can find us on there. The purpose of today's podcast, we thought we'd do a little bit about Mike Ashley, the club, the people that he employs. Uh, there's been a lot going on recently. You have the Jonas Gutierrez Tribunal uh, ongoing right now. You have Mike Ashley's mental interview with Sky Sports, which came out beginning of the week, I think, Monday. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Bob Monker has been talking to the press today, this week, saying Steve McLaren did a great job. Doesn't surprise me at all after a conversation that I had with him last July, June, which I haven't really talked about much, but I'll I'll, I'll kind of have my say now. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to put Bond on the spot about Newcastle's um, survival prospects. So that's just about it. And then, Bolland, if you want to raise anything else, we'll have time. It's just me and you. Uh, just the, the best ones have all turned up, uh, which was what I was hoping for. Um, but let's let's talk about Jonas Gutierrez and uh, the, the, the ongoing tribunal for £2 million damages uh, that he has against uh, Newcastle United. Uh, first of all, uh, Bolland, tell me, if I was to say to you, Jonas Gutierrez as a Newcastle United player, start to finish. What are your thoughts? Uh, so I think Gutierrez was a pretty good servant for the club. I think he was one of the more solid performers the year we went down, and then obviously performed pretty well for us in the Championship. Um, he got a bit of a hard time from Newcastle fans because he's quite a, like an awkward-looking footballer at times. He doesn't really look like an athlete, um, but you know. He, he did a good job for us on the left, especially when he had someone like Enrique Bowman on there beside him. Um, final product was sometimes looked a bit awkward as well, but you know he, he came up with some good goals for us. I think there was one at Wolves in particular, which springs to mind, which was a good goal. Um, and after everything he went through, I think he, just, you know, he became sort of a cult figure and a legend for us. Yes, uh, I agree with all of that. I'll, I'll have a bit of personal, not with him, but with a lot of Newcastle fans because, and it's understandable, his, his story last season and his recovery and getting back to playing football is, it's one of the great, it's, it's one of the very few positive things to come out of Newcastle, albeit, you know, the, the, there is now allegations by 
Jonas that the Newcastle as a club had as little to do with that as they possibly could. But it's one of the genuine good stories uh, that's to come out come out of the club in the past what eight years. You you pretty much got promotion, fifth Europe, Jonas and Benitez. <laughs> like that's it for the last eight years. Um, so so that was really good. But and, and, and like the support of Newcastle fans and a lot of people have taken him to heart, uh, which is great. But like you say before that. He was a hugely divisive character as a footballer, not, not as a not as a person. And I, I think pretty much everyone respected and understood that he he gave one hundred percent. There is not a game that Jonas Gutierrez uh, did not try his best for Newcastle United. Um, he reminds me, from a person's perspective, of another much misunderstood footballer who I'm constantly sticking up for, uh, and Musa Sissoko. Um, he was out on. <laughs> Um, just at, at the time at the match in the corner. I don't think I don't think, I don't think you can compare Sergio and Gutierrez and not have <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, I'm gonna try. I'm just just from a personal perspective. Um, Julius Gutierrez is one of my favourite all-time Newcastle players, and, and I, I want to go in my in the why, which is why I get a lot of stick on social media off you lads <laughs> um, for saying that Musa Sissoko is one of Newcastle's best players um, and most important parts of the current albeit shambolic team. Um, and Jonas was the same, albeit was slightly more successful. So he turned up and cost, allegedly bought himself out of his own contract for reports of between, you know, eight and 12 million pounds, which, you know, you'd guess Newcastle paid those costs. Um, he had a very promising start. The season we got relegated. He was, I, was at, I was at his debut at Old Trafford uh, when we drew 1-1 against the newly crowned champions of Europe, uh, Manchester United. Uh, we were the better team that day under Keegan. Um, the, by far the better team Alan Hansen the match of the day said that Jonas was the standout signing new signing of the Premier League weekend and he was uh, unfortunately the first international break of that season which was well, August, September, October he dislocated his shoulder and was therefore out pretty much the rest of the season he he, he didn't make any, very many appearances uh, that season and didn't really play too much either, and, and didn't show you know what he did to begin, begin with. Like you say, uh, championship season, him and Jose Enrique. Let's be frank, um, they just they just absolutely waltzed waltzed that league. That everything went down the the left. I don't even know who played right wing for Newcastle at the Danny time. Guthrie. Da- yeah, Danny, no, Guth- Danny Guthrie. <laughs> Danny Guthrie. The signed Routledge eventually. Um, yeah. Before that, though. No idea. Uh, Barton was injured that whole season, so it wasn't him. Um, yeah, I've got no idea. They signed Pankrat for a few games. Anyway, you can see where we're going. The, the left side was where it was at in that team and in for a long time. And I actually think that Jose Enrique got his move to Liverpool on the back of the partnership with Gutierrez because Gutierrez had a, a knack of making players uh, look better than they actually were a partner. So... If you look at Jose Enrique and Davide Santon, the best football they probably played in their careers was with Jonas. He's such a good team man. He's so good at link and play, so good at partnerships, and he's fantastic. Moving into the Premier League, he crucial contributions. He was instrumental in the team that finished fifth, almost and ever-present in those two years. Every single game uh, he played, practically. Um, just uh, quick, quickly on that, I just like to chip in. I think is one of the, like, unsung heroes of that season because everyone remembers you know Ben Arthur Bar, Cissé Kabai all having absolute stormers but it was Gutierrez especially when we started playing as a the free in midfield it was just the absolute engine behind that team yeah um, and people sort of forget about that sometimes but sorry carry on sorry. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good point I'm pleased you said it so I was probably going to gloss over that but I was at Wolves when he scored a quite frankly brilliant goal um, he's, he's a really really good footballer and uh, I never really thought he got he got a lot of stick from your castle fans. Um, a lot of stick. I mean, we we me and me and lad called Cosmo were sat in the we in the corner at the time. We still are, but a different part of it. Um, and the grief he used to get from the idiots around us who just couldn't recognise what he was. Now I know he wasn't the best crosser of the ball in the world. Um, I also know that sometimes the you know uh, as an attacking force he, he relied you know he, he kind of lost a little bit of that pace that he had when he first signed for us. So he was fairly, I wouldn't say limited, because this is a guy with 22 caps for Argentina who's represented Argentina at the World Cup. Um, so, you know, so, so he's, I wouldn't say a limited footballer, 
but certainly a, a guy who maybe didn't have, like you say, have the, the skill or the natural talent of Hatton Ben Arfa, but his contribution to Newcastle United was 10 times what, what Ben Arfa's was in, in the time he was here. Um, 12, 12-13 when we were in Europe that season, his form really dropped off. I actually believed he was, like many other players uh, under Pardew, played injured because he had a long-standing problem. He could never finish a game um, and and it was all almost a bit of a joke that he wasn't being dropped at the time. Um, he was forced to play left back quite a lot, which he he did not excel at. But he was it was clearly a character who was very much an integral part of the team and an integral part of that you know that that dressing room. Um, the thirteen fourteen season starts and he's gone. We uh, you know I could check Facebook messages. WhatsApp messages, texts between me, me and me and my mates, me and the lads, especially Simon Campbell, who who was also another big Jonas fan. We were where the hell is Jonas Gutierrez? Considering we were, we were a poor side, let's not forget a poor side. Where where on earth was Jonas? We just couldn't understand it. And that kind of I've I've gone through this long intro here, and I, I talk about Musa Sissoko because listen, Jonas um, is ten times the or has contributed ten times what. Sissoko has contributed to NUFC a hundred times, so I'm not trying to compare them as players or in work rate, but it, you know, it's, it's, Sissoko is a lot of a player who gets a lot of stick from fans saying drop him, sell him, when in fact his contribution suggests otherwise. Uh, Jonas was the same. Jonas, one of our best, most consistent performers uh, in the period 2009 to 2013, you know, which is, which is a decent stint for any Castle player. You know, 155 games for the club, but I, I never really felt he got the respect he deserved. Forget about the stuff that came afterwards, but as an actual footballer, he was excellent value for money. One of the few good signings of, of the Ashley era. Um, so, yeah, anyway, that brings us to 2014, um, and, and Jonas just can't get in the team 2013-14, can't get on the bench, and we're now here in Bolland that uh, Gutierrez is stating that when he told the club about his illness... Um, he essentially was sidetracked, not sidetracked. Um, told that he had no future, no future at Newcastle United because of his illness. Alan Pardew, Lee Charnley, and therefore Mike Ashley say otherwise. They say it was football and reasons. What do you make of of it all so far? It's just, it's such a shame that such a, like a positive story has gone so drastically wrong for the club. It's terrible, terrible PR. My, like, I think you asked me earlier what, like, like, whose side you come down on, and obviously Jonas is. Because what reason has this bloke got to lie? Like, he's been through, been through so much. Why would he just now? And the Castle fans were dead supportive of him, so why would he now come back to the club unless this is all entirely true? And then um, Pardew saying it, it was for footballing reasons. I quickly looked at his interview. Well, it's what he said today at the tribunal, and he said it was just getting players like Obertan and Marvo. Now, I know Marvo has barely played any clubs, any any games for the club, and Overtown sort of it was in and out of the side, so for him to come out and be like, well, I didn't want Jonas because I was going to play Overtown and Marvo, it just seems like more lies from a man that has got a reputation at Newcastle, certainly, for lying all of the time. Um, it's just such a shame. It's just, yeah, it's just a shame. I think it's, it's, it's brutal what they've done to him. Um, I know he only played for the club for seven years, but they should have given him more of a, more of a send-off if the plan was to always let him go. Um, I mean, they're saying I think it was 80 games for him to trigger another year. Like, you can sort of see the reasoning behind let's not keep Jonas for another year. I think he'd still do a job for us now, but I can see the reasoning behind it. But why they had to get John Carver to ring him up and tell him that it's over as well, it's just ridiculous. It's all just ridiculous. He should have been given a bigger send-off, probably a testimonial. Why not? Oh, I would have, I would have been there, Poland. Uh, let, let's yeah. go through. The, the reason we want to talk about this is because, as I was just saying to you off-air, um, Poland, the, this summer, regardless of which division Newcastle United are in, is, is probably the biggest in the club's history. If we stay up, making sure that we keep Benitez and the man is allowed to run the football club from a football perspective is so important to the long-term success of the club, it's unreal. Um, if we go down, then there's serious, serious consequences. Um, 
this so so I kind of want to talk about the people running the club and this is just another example and and uh, I was speaking to Mick Martin True Faith editor yesterday and he he made a really good point that there's so many bad things happen or come from the club and the hierarchy that you're almost immune to it you're almost immune now if this if this was Arsenal if this was I'm trying to think of a well-run club Swansea I think I think there would be outrage from the fans. It it, it what's allegedly I mean there's it's it's still you know one bloke's word against another and these kind of cases are hard to win for the claimants. I mean I have a bit of experience uh, of employment tribunals myself recently. One one as the employer uh, against some filthy lies, but um, you know essentially what Newcastle United are claiming or responding is that Jonas Gutierrez is a liar. The man is a liar. And is doing it for the money now. Obviously, they haven't come out and said as much, but you, you but by by totally um, totally rejecting all of Jonas's uh, statements and claims and and saying the exact opposite, they are basically saying Jonas Gutierrez is a money grabber. Um, now let's so let's examine exactly what he said. Uh, he said it came as a shock to me so soon after my cancer treatment. This is being told by Pardew that he was no longer uh, part of the club's. First team plans. Added um, Gutierrez, who left the room in tears at one point during the morning session, saying he was not here for the money, but but because the way he was treated by the club was not right. I believe the reason for this was due to my cancer diagnosis and very recent operation to remove the tumor, as I had clearly been a crucial part of Newcastle's first team lineup to this point. I think they feared my illness would mean that I could no longer play at the highest level and considered me to be a liability rather than an asset to the club. During my chemotherapy treatment, neither the manager, Alan Pardew, nor any club directors contacted me to see how I was feeling or to congratulate me on my recovery. The club was incredibly disappointing after everything I had done for the club. Uh, Newcastle insists they did not; they did contact Jonas during his treatment. Blah blah blah. So that's that's the very early. That's what came out about two two days ago or so. Um, since since then, uh, things have moved on slightly, but. Let's. Uh, I want to kind of bring up, if I can, um, what Lee Charnley said and what Alan Pardew said. Now, like you know, I'm just reading from the BBC website here about what's what's gone on and what what hasn't gone on and stuff. But so so far, I'm um, I'm not seeing anything from Jonas's side, which is, uh, you know, totally out of order. Um. So obviously, the, the, there's further accusations made um, by. Um, by Jonas that essentially the club uh, had informed Pardew not to select him to try and either force him out, make sure he didn't get this automatic contract extension which he was to get after 80 starts Um, so Lee Charney has come back and said even if we had wanted to influence team selection, which to be clear we did not, this would have placed us in breach of our obligations under the manager's service contract Moreover, the suggestion that our reason for lunching team selection was to avoid extending Jonas's contract because he had cancer is offensive and untrue. By the 2014-15 season, Jonas made a total of 78 Premier League starting appearances for the first team and therefore he fell just short of hitting the target uh, to trigger the automatic additional year. I note that a significant part of Jonas's case in this matter relies on the assumption that the board and the chairman of the club controlled the team selection to prevent him starting enough games to reach the target. This is completely false. I want. I'm going to go into Lee Charnley's um, words again. But th- this is the hope. This is this statement that I'm just reading here. Bolland is the reason I want to do this podcast. Jonas Gutierrez is telling the world and the tribunal that Lee Charnley and Mike Ashley had the power over Pardew to influence team selection. What What are your thoughts on that? Not surprised, even slightly, because I think we all knew. Well, I've all assumed that Pardew was ultimately just a puppet. Um, and especially when you think that Jonas would have been 29-30 around this point, maybe 31. Um, he's not going to fit into their plans as far as sort of the age profile of players they want to keep. So it's hardly surprising that they wanted to get him off the books, being such a money-conscious club as they are. Um, but yeah, it's, not, it's just not shocking at all. Like, and the thing I want to say about Pardew as well, Pardew's sort of saying, like, oh, I, I didn't freeze him out, it was all part of the plan, but Pardew's had previous with this sort of behaviour uh, as well, well, obviously not 
we'll we'll come on I'll, we'll come on to Podger, okay? Because we're going to go through his testimony in a bit. What he said today, but I just I just can't believe to everybody listening as someone who spends probably about two grand a year on season tickets, you know, away games, the match day, and, and I'm sure many of you listening. I mean, I only sit in the southeast corner. I don't, you know, not send me season ticket. I think the season tickets about six hundred quid. I, for, for me, if <laughs> one of the former players, one of my favourite players of all time, one of the guys who has a connection with Newcastle fans more than anyone who runs the club, is saying that the manager was able to be influenced on team selection for financial reasons. It's it's. <sighs> It, yeah, you what you say, like it, because it's not surprising, it doesn't seem like the bombshell that it it, it should be. If um, yeah. if Arsene Wenger or Alex Ferguson or Louis Van Gaal or Ronald Koeman was was wasn't picking his what he considered to be his best team, I I, I don't think any of those managers would would be able to continue at club at in club football at the highest level or be able to, I don't know, um, you know, be, be able to take them seriously anymore. Now, obviously, we're not saying what's true and not true. All we can do is raise the questions. We weren't there. We can, we can, you know, cast dispersions, but I'm not sitting here saying that happened. I don't know if that happened or not. I don't know if Jonas Gutierrez is uh, a liar and after the money. I don't, my, my honest opinion, I don't think so, but but I don't know. Um, it's it's just... <laughs> on from, from Charlie's uh, comments to the tribunal. absolutely clear from the contents of the statement we had concerns at the very out- outset of Jonas's renewed employment contract in 2011 about his ability to retain a, per- a first team place for five years up to the age of 33. Jonas then fell out of consideration for the first team before he was diagnosed with cancer for sporting reasons due to the arrival of new and technically better players at the club. The fact of Jonas's cancer had no influence whatsoever on our actions dis- decision regarding Jonas at any time we were very well. We were very grateful to Jonas for his performances at the end of the 14-15 season. In view of the club's wider circumstances, these did not change our view that we did not think it made good business or sporting sense to extend Jonas's contract for an additional year. As a club, we feel extremely frustrated to find ourselves in these proceedings, having defend to defend ourselves and our reputation against entirely false allegations of disability discrimination when we have treated Jonas fairly and with respect at all times, including before during and after his illness. All the allegations made by Jonas are completely denied by the club. Neither not, neither I nor anybody at the club um, would ever seek to victimise or disadvantage one of our employees on the basis of ill health. As far as I'm concerned, uh, Jonas's health had nothing to do whatsoever with what Alan said to Jonas during this conversation in December 2013 when he when told he wouldn't be considered for selection going on loan to Norwich soon after as this related to a decision which had been made many months earlier. Lot, so there's a lot to kind of get through there. I'll just pick out the key points. Um, I remember him being sent on, on loan to Norwich, very surprised and disappointed at the time. He hadn't been playing before that. Um, I seem to remember him coming on at Cardiff away in a game of 1-2-1, thinking, oh, Jonas is back fit, good. Um, I just got... You know, I'm try I'm racking my brains here trying to think of these players in, you know, the thirteen, fourteen season who were who were technically better. These players who 
I think Pardew's going to talk about. And Charlie says, which players at the time played left wing for Newcastle? And I'm, I'm, I'm serious, this is me today at work thinking, who on earth played left wing for Newcastle at that time? Can you can you remember Bollins? I think, I could be wrong, but was it not a certain Mr. Gufran? You're spot on. I'm thinking, who the hell played left wing for Newcastle instead of Jones? Who was that good? That Joe, that they were basically like, well, this this bloke's absolutely meant. So so see you later, Jonas. Not even on the bench. Doesn't matter if he, this bloke gets injured, he won't get injured. And it's Johan Gufra. So that I mean, again, from a football perspective, we don't know what happened or what what happened. But Lee Charney and Alan Pardew, from from their own statements, um, come on, a Pardew's in a bit are saying that Johan Gufran gave them enough confidence on the left side of Newcastle's midfield. To basically deem Jonas not 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 good enough, not not needed. Do you, would you agree with that assessment of um, these two men who who holds and held incredibly important positions at Newcastle United? So I suppose you can't remember Gusban that first season was actually pretty decent, but I don't what, think he was so good that he was could he? get rid of all the other options on it. Well, he scored five goals, didn't he? Yes, he um, still played terribly. <laughs> Well, even even had a song at that point, so uh, I, I I don't think I don't think it warranted there totally getting rid of Gutierrez, but um, yeah, so, I mean Gufran. Um, yeah, I'm not sure it warranted getting rid of Jonas completely, but they did have another option there, I suppose. What Pardew says, and I'm sure he's going to touch on it in a minute, that makes it more baffling that he, he chopped him out. Okay, yeah, we may as we may as well go on to what Pardew said today. I think, yeah, um, my my particular concern with Jonas related to the low number of goals he scored. Pardew told Tribune, he'd only scored three goals in the two thousand ten eleven season, which for an attacking mid- midfielder was well below what I would what I would have expected. I'll park this for the moment because there are flaws <laughs> in what Pardew's saying here, massively in my opinion. Um, during the 2000... You mean Pardew said something that doesn't make sense? Yeah, I know, or was possibly a lie, but yeah, we'll see. Pardew, <laughs> um, now Crystal, blah, blah, blah. Um, continued to start uh, Gutierrez during the 2011, 12 and 12, 13 campaigns because of his experience, but he only scored three goals in that time, which Pardew said was again below his expectations. Um, he added the signings of players including Johan Gufran, Musa Sissoko, and wait for it, Vernon Anita in 2013. Don't play the same position, despite what John Carver tried to do. Um, in 2013, saw the Argentine fall out of contention for the first team. Something Pardew said he told Gutierrez that summer. So, right, Jonas, uh, bad news. What? We've, we've signed Vernon Anita. Does he, is he a foot... If Richie, if Richie if Richie Smith was here, which Richie Smith sent right a fullback, you've signed a fullback, could but let's pretend that he's he's he was signed as a central midfielder, um, right? You've signed all oh, right, he's a central midfielder, like a ball playing possession midfielder, yeah. But that means there's there's no room for you in the squad. Well, there's no there's no room for me in the squad. He, he doesn't play the same position. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No, there's no room for you, I'm afraid. Like I just I can't. And then again, you know, Pardew is obviously confident enough to say this to a tribunal under oath. And in public, um, I was honest with him and explained that he would not be a regular in my first team for the upcoming season. Uh, Jonas appeared to accept my decision and continued to train well. However, as expected, uh, I'm sorry. However, as expected, after a difficult conversation, I felt our previous good relationship deteriorated from this point onwards. No surprise, considering you've you've just told him that Johan Kufran. <laughs> Uh, who's a striker? <laughs> who's a striker? And Vernon Anita, who's a, a central midfielder, will be taking his place in the squad. Um, Pardew said he was really upset for Gutierrez when he heard the player had been diagnosed with testicular cancer uh, in October 2013, but told him that he was unlikely to feature in the first team in December that year. I'm not going to dispute any of that. Um, I respected Jonas uh, as a professional, and I felt the fairest approach was to be honest with him. This was a purely footballing decision. It is personally upsetting to me that Jonas appears to think otherwise. Um, then the, this, the article the BBC says that Pardew lost his father to cancer in the early days of playing career. Uh, says he thought that was the way 
that uh, Gutierrez wanted to handle it in respect to Pardew not contacting him. Uh, when he first got diagnosis instructions were that he did not want anyone to know bar myself, not even the players. I genuinely felt he wanted to deal with it in that matter. All my concern for Jonas went through the doctor. I do remember he said it was difficult to contact Jonas at, at times. I took that as the way he wanted to deal with it. My father dealt with it by not telling us anything. I kept my concern solely through the doctor. I felt we did as much as we could because he detached himself from us. We welcomed him back with open arms. Um, I don't know. What do, what do, what do you think, Bollins? Well, welcomed him back with open arms, but told him that he wasn't going to play. Or <laughs> shopped, like, shopped around to Norwich. Like, it doesn't sound like you welcomed him back with, uh, with open arms at all. And was Pardew still at the club when Gutierrez was back training? No, no um, I don't think so. I think he'd gone. approach this like so like I've just said we don't know if what Jonas Gutierrez is claiming is true that probably isn't an email or a piece of paper for him to be able to prove his case anyway but again I, I don't know what um, what happened what Alan Pardew or Lee Charney or Mike Ashley's intentions were we're only we're only getting the, the snippets we're being given we're not reading from minutes either so we're reliant on new sources but as a football fan who likes? To, I like to think I know me stuff. Many people might think I'm wrong. Um, I remember clearly the period that these gentlemen are talking about, and I could not think why Newcastle United were in such bad shape for the majority of this time. We were not a successful team. I couldn't help but think, um, why on earth is this guy not playing? Why on earth is he being sent to Norwich? Why on earth is he not being brought back into the fold quicker. So so that kind of tallies up with what Gutierrez is saying. The fact that he was brought back into the team in, in 2014-15, when presumably all of these players that Vernon Nita was still around, uh, Johan Gufran was still around, um, you know, so does Pardew just admit he was wrong or he wasn't the manager? John Carver was his assistant. Did Where's John Carver in all of this? I presume, I don't know if he's going to be called as a witness or not, but... You know, the, the, I think John Carver is coming over them too. Yeah, so, so more might come up. Well, we haven't done this podcast. We're not talking about this now to to get to the bottom of this case, though I'm sure everyone can draw their own conclusions from the evidence given so far. But it, it, let's just talk about it from a from a from a football perspective. Alan Pardew is wrong when he's taught. He, he's he's totally he's totally ignored that eleven twelve season. He's he's looking at his goals return. Um, I've read other, you know, um, Alan Pardew called Jonas Gutierrez world class. In the 2011-12 season, uh, he called. You know, when asked in court today, he said, "Well, I didn't mean it like that. I meant he was at a world-class level." I thought Jonas Gutierrez was was one of our best players that season in the best Newcastle side of the past what 2000. Let's go back to 2004. So, of the past 12 years, you've got one of it. One of our crucial players is his record just being brushed over. The way he brought Darry Day Santon on, the way that he was part of that successful midfield, the way Bolland, like you correctly said, that when, when for the second half of that season, when we picked up a lot of good results, he was influential in almost every single game. I just, I don't know. It's just another nail in the in the club's coffin. You don't see other football clubs being taken to try to, you know, you don't see Stillian um, Petrov Villa taking them to a tribunal. Other clubs who've who've lost players up and down the the leagues to, to illness and it just it just seems to be Newcastle um, and like I said earlier you know it's it's people people don't even not that they don't care it's like it's just like oh they've done what not like like not again and it's just like 
I don't know. I don't know what you think, Bolland, but it's it's just starting to really, really, really worry me. Yeah, I, I think I've mentioned this before, certainly to Mickey, that the, the, some of the stuff that goes on in Newcastle, like people just don't kick off about anymore because, as you mentioned earlier, it happens so regularly now. The bad news and bad press comes out about the club, and it's largely down to the people that Ashley puts in charge. And I'm sure we're going to come onto his comments in a bit, but. It's just, uh, from a personal point of view, it's just so disappointing. Like, Jonas seems to be pretty wide, widely loved as well, by even by other teams. Like, people seem to like him. He's, you know, he's, he's been on a couple of those sort of lad Bible things with him singing on the plane for the lads and stuff. And it's just, it's just shocking the way, shocking the way that we've tracked Yes, um, I suppose we may as well move on from from there. This isn't a podcast where he's going to get any nice conclusions or. You know the, the the case the case is ongoing, so all sorts might come out. There could be, uh, you know, in, information evidence might come out, which is totally damning against Gutierrez and saves the club. I doubt it, though. I seriously doubt it. Um, and yeah, really, again, like I say, really disappointing that it's come to this at all. The last time the club was at a tribunal, it was also um, with a man who loves Newcastle United, Kevin Keegan, who won his case against the club. And if you look at Alan Shearer's treatment by Mike Ashley and the people who run the club, it seems that Mike Ashley has a massive problem uh, with people who have the best interests of Newcastle United at heart because everything Mike Ashley's done so far suggests otherwise. And we'll go into that. I'm so, sorry, I was just going to say, like, uh, when, I think when the Keegan thing was going on, or, no, certainly when they got rid of Shearer, it seems a bit like Ashley sort of set about on purpose to take down any of the legends. Like, you know, he's like, I've got Keegan, I've got him in, and now I'm just going to stitch him up and get, like, get rid of him. And then same happened with Shearer, and it just seems a bit like anyone who can sort of like raise the fan, fan base in any sort of positive way, he was like, no, we've got to get rid of it. We've got to get rid of this mentality of uh, the club having any sort of hero. Um, and Jonas just seems to be the next one on the list. Yes, so let's talk about Ashley because this week uh, there's been quite a candid and uh, awkward interview with Sky Sports News, of all people, um, from the Sports Direct HQ as he invited journalists um, to Derbyshire about his quarrel with MPs. Uh, The Times reporter's comments as, um, this is Mike Ashley's words, I've had tons of fun, but do I regret getting involved in football? The answer is yes. We regret it as well, Mike. Uh, because I haven't been able to make the difference I wanted in football, I wanted to help Newcastle. I wanted to make it better. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, whenever you buy a company, you want to make that company better, but perform better, fight above its weight. Uh, I haven't seemed uh, to have been able to have that effect in football. Uh, uh, I have done that in Sports Direct, but not in football. To get a football club, to, this is important, to be the best, you have to get the sun, the moon, and the stars aligned perfectly. Right, we'll park that. I'm going to come back to that first. There is a negativity around me as an individual at Newcastle, so the best thing is to make sure it's on solid ground and then step back to get them self-managing Newcastle in the way Sports Direct, self-manager Sports Direct. I'll come back to that too. I created a board, and the board gets to appoint the manager and choose the manager, and then they put the manager on the board, and I don't interfere. Uh, I don't know what the players will. I don't know what players they will sign or what team they will play. All I said was, there is a bank account, and when you've emptied it, it is empty. Don't come crying to me for any more money, but you have a big balance in the bank account, so have a go. They have had a proper go this season. I think everyone agree the result has not been ideal. Uh, there is virtually nothing in the bank account. They've emptied it. Um, where are we? Uh, we will have to cross that bridge when you come to it. We're gone relegation. We're not even going to think about the championship, as we are not going to be there. Newcastle and I are wedded, uh, like me and Sports Director wedded, uh, through the good times and the bad, eventually we will have good times again. I have had virtually nil effect on Newcastle United in reality because I only picked the board. Um, I don't want to have any influence at all in football. Looking after Sports Direct is more than a full-time job, and some people would say I'm not doing a good job of it at the moment. Um... Right, few things there. Very odd timing with this. I know people have said after the derby, Benitez is in. Why come out and talk now? But the key point here, Bolland, is he's he's not talking to the media at Sports Direct HQ in Derbyshire to big up Newcastle United. It's because he's got serious problems with Sports Direct. 
and this yeah. stuff with MPs and Parliament, I'd, I'd imagine this is just something he's had to do and had to answer rather than wanted to. Certainly his answers don't seem prepared. Um, but listen, I'll come to you first. Um, what do you make of his comments about the stars, the sun and the moon having to align to be successful? Um, yeah, slightly, slightly strange. I think what he's probably trying to guard is, to be honest, I don't really get what he's trying to get at that, because <laughs> football's not all about, not all about luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can only assume is what he means is by getting his board and his manager and the players, and then you'll have success. But what he's, what he's done really is, um, just largely, I'm not surprised by what he said, to be fair, right? Because got a lot of money at this football club and he's taking I don't know how much he's taken out so you can sort of understand why at this point he's probably slightly fed up um, and that's certainly the way that he comes across Ashley's Ashley's problem has been that he just hires idiots like I know he says sort of like he's taking a step back but you know the one thing that he has to do is pick that board he says he picks that board but he just consistently picks idiots to run it like Joe Kinnear director of football what, what more can what more can you say? At the minute, you've got Charnley, Monke, and Graham Power, who I think we can all agree have done a disastrous job. And he's given, he's, he's backed them, and you can't ask him to do much much more than that. To be fair, it's just that the people he's hired have been total idiots. Um, I, to go back to then the moon and the stars aligning. I think it's just ridiculous thing to say. It doesn't mean anything very worrying because like you say it seems to, ju- to suggest that he thinks that there's a lot of luck involved um, picking the manager I mean although he doesn't say that he picks them but wasn't unlucky that we picked the manager sacked by Derby in the championship uh, who failed as the manager here that wasn't bad luck um, it wasn't bad luck giving Alan Pardew an 8 year contract um, it was there wasn't any luck involved when we sold uh, Johan Kabai and didn't replace him with the team well placed in the league. There wasn't much luck involved when we sold Andy Carroll. Well, there was but luck in terms of the money we got and didn't replace him in the league. <laughs> that was probably the luck. That was probably yeah. the luckiest thing he had to be. <laughs> all, all of those actions from people from either Mike Ashley or people Mike Ashley employees damaged the club. Um, well, you know when he's saying that I've had no effect, that's just like totally, totally not true. Yeah. Um, well, probably, I know we've had some poor league positions before, actually, but they've been pretty consistently low, lower mid-table down towards the relegation zone, obviously the relegation, um, which is not, not where Newcastle were really even like aiming to be, and that, that's the difference that he's made, is that he's just lowered expectations at Newcastle, and to be fair, they probably did need to come down a little bit, but not to the point where now we're, we're sitting around praying that we're not getting relegated. Even at the start of the season, it's like, please, let's not be in another relegation battle, which is not where Newcastle fans used to think. We used to be like, we could get top six. We could even get the top four. Like, why not? Let's have a go. And to him to say he's had no impact, it's just spammy. Like, it's like he's not even been paying attention to the last eight years. Like, even things that, like the fans, like St. James's Park, is noticeably quieter since he's been here because he's just sucked the life out of well, like, as we mentioned earlier. I'll, the fans, I'll, uh, this, is a, this is a debate for another an, another day, but um, I don't agree with that. I think I think the atmosphere is is better <laughs> than it was uh, before Ashton came because it was really, really bad then. But that, that's another story for another day. Um, certainly attendances have dropped. They have to give away a lot of free tickets. Well, not free, but reduced price ticket deals and it, it listen it is good but you know the, it, 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 to what point is it good because yeah if you can sell your, your stadium by giving away all the tickets for free because no one will buy them then it harms the club as a as a sporting you know success that's able to generate its own income the, uh, this is this is kind of harsh thing for me to say um, but I think it's true Mike Ashley seems like a stupid bloke uh, whether he's just that bad at talking to the camera that he just rambles on with a load of rubbish. Um, he talks about making Newcastle perform. He wants to make Newcastle perform above um, above its weight. Well, Newcastle are what the sixth, seventh richest team in England. Uh, 
yet yeah. Newcastle have finished above that point once in his eight years. Uh, Newcastle are one of the best, or something like the fourteenth best supported club in Europe. Um, obviously, we're not we're not currently ever competing in the European competition with the best, you know, the best uh, thirty two teams, or or the one below that. For a matter of fact, um, he talks about uh, you know that Newcastle Newcastle is wedded to him, um, and he's wedded to Newcastle United. Well, if the club is self sufficient, which he claims it is. Why? Why did Newcastle United need Mike Ashley? If the club is self-sufficient and he doesn't have to put any money in, he's talking about this empty pot. I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people have made out that the club are bankrupt or the club's got no money. Obviously, we'll have all of next season's money to come in, whichever league we're in. But in terms of if Mike Ashley saying that the club is self-sufficient, I have no impact, I have no control. Well, I would say to Mike Ashley, what is the point of view? If that's the case. Ashley. I think what he, I think what he's trying to get at though is that he can't sell it. <laughs> no one will buy it off him. So f- that well, means. that's not true. Either it, a lot of people would buy it from him. It's, it's more likely the price he would ask for, and the, um, the you know the fans would buy it off him. You know the the yeah, supporters but, trust would. Get, yeah, but, but how, the, they, how are they going to get? How are they going to get the money to buy it off him? Well, because because. because the club's probably worth, I think I think uh, he he reckons the club. I don't know this, but probably owe him a hundred and forty, and and he bought it for a hundred and twenty. I think I might be wrong in that. So that's what that's two sixty. Is that right? <laughs> anyway, but just just say you wanted two hundred and fifty million pounds for the club. Um. You know there are there are examples. Look at Hearts in in Scotland, where they were on their knees. Uh, a millionaire bought the club and is is working with the supporters' trust to find different ways of of continuing to sell the club to the fans. It is possible. Like it's only it's only impossible if you if you go in there this vision and think right. Well, well, you know Newcastle fans have to come up with a lump sum payment, one off of two hundred and fifty million quid. Why? What if Mike Ashley no, has nothing? That's what Ashley would do, isn't it? Yeah, but but why? If Mike Ashley has nothing to do with the club, he doesn't have anything to do with the running. He doesn't have anything to do with it financially. What? Why? Why? Why can't he accept? A, I mean, this is me thinking off the top of my head. Why can't he accept a bond scheme, or why can't he accept um, payments made by direct debit every season from from shareholders, or why can't he sell a proportion of the club to the fans to allow us a seat on the board? The, the whole thing just doesn't make any sense to me. What you're what you're saying there is right, and that's what most people think. It's oh well, well that's what he would do, isn't it? And you're right because there's, he's not suggesting anything else. Why does Mike Ashley want to have Newcastle United on his watch? He, he he's admitted he doesn't know what he's doing. He's admitted he doesn't know anything about football. I'm I still struggle to see. And Mike Ashley's come out and said it himself. What on earth? He's doing in terms of the free advertising. Sports Direct now get Sports Director are having millions every day wiped off the share price. Their association, their association with Newcastle United, is toxic. So I'll, I'll repeat the question: What on earth does Mike Ashley have to gain from keeping hold of Newcastle United? And I'm going to answer part of that question now. <laughs> um, the Newcastle United Supporters Trust uh, has done some pretty sterling work in getting to the bottom of the proposed sale of some land south of the Gallagher End, which the club either owns or has on a, on a long-term lease. Or, or I don't know the exact details. If you head to True Faith, um, True Faith Facebook page, truefaith.co.uk, and the, the nust.org, you'll find out some much, um, I'm sure, better information about this. But Mike Ashley looks to sell this, so Mike Ashley looks is looking. I think it's no secret to sell this land to a property developer. When Mike Ashley brought the club, this land belonged to the club. This is the club's land. Um, Bollard, can you see any argument at all from a football club perspective for selling that land? <laughs> no. No. It's, I think it's, this is the plot, of, the plot of land, which is basically the only only space we have left if we ever wanted to expand. The- yeah. Stadium again. Um, obviously, I don't think that looks like it's going to 
happen anyway, anytime in the near future. But who's to say in 10, 15 years' time, if results pick up, there might actually be people wanting to go at the games again. Like, Forget that, Bollins. Next year, if Rafa Benitez is in charge of Newcastle and he's given something of a transfer budget to work with, you know you know as well as I do, um, if Newcastle were competitive, even if they were competitive in the top 10 of the league, you know, if they did a stoke next season with a couple of cup runs or a cup run in there, I, I know and you know that Newcastle operating in the top eight of the English Premier League could attract, in my opinion, 60,000, 65,000 fans. Was 52,000 there against Bournemouth, for God's sake? With the rel- we're 19th. Do yeah. <laughs> 52,000 there when we're 19th. If you park that for a minute, and even if you say, right, we're never going to sell out, we're never going to get more than 52,000, even the selling of that land, where's the money going to go? Is that money going to go into transfers? No, it's it's going to go into Mike Ashley's pocket. And it gets down to the to one of the, the most worrying questions about all of this. It is what uh, happened, has happened at Leeds. It is what happened at Wimbledon back in the day. Um, it's what happened at countless other football clubs and it's asset stripping. Now, whether that whether this happens or not, I could be totally wrong. But from the outside looking in, you've got Mike Ashley buys Newcastle United. Newcastle United has some, some land. Mike Ashley transfers that land to a, to a holding company and looks to sell it for financial gain. That is asset stripping at the very highest level and if Mike Ashley plans to maintain ownership of Newcastle United for what 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 me and you've just talked through for, for no good reason on his um on his behalf when he you know there's no he could get he could get in my opinion he could get his money back whether it be short term or long term or whatever he could get his money back if he really looked for it and he he doesn't there's no indication that he's doing that it looks to me that Mike Ashley is um in Newcastle United to make for for personal financial gain, and if if that's the point that we're at, um, that you'll happily asset strip the club, then the future looks very worrying indeed. I don't know what you think. Yeah, it is slightly worrying. It's one uh, the selling off of the ground. I don't know. It seems like it's sort of gone under the radar a little bit, and I don't know if that's because people are so used to just rubbish news coming out of Newcastle and things like this coming out of Newcastle. Or maybe people don't really understand what's going on, but it's just, yeah, it's not something that people are kicking off too much about. And I probably, I've got to admit, I hadn't really thought about it too much until you just mentioned it there, but it seems like something people should be kicking off more about. Um, it is, it's very, very worrying. And by, like you say, by his own admission, I don't think he really wants to be part of the club. So from his point of view, why not? Uh, he's a businessman at the end of the day and he can make some money from it and he's been a pretty ruthless businessman at it. That's the thing. I mean, it, it, you made me think about that. I hadn't really thought about it properly until now. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to be the the bringer of. Let's get the bed sheets. I'll head down to St James now. <laughs> um. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know where to go from here because I want to. I want to. So, so we've made the point here. I think a lot of people listening to this show will already know about it. Um, but it it is a really scary thought because if Mike Ashley does a successful business deal. Here, then what's what's to stop them selling off the training ground um, or the stadium or I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, yeah, you're getting into the the realms of ridiculousness a bit, but um, sort of, sorry, I think he's done something. He's done something similar. Rangers, hasn't he? He owns the car park or something. Oh yeah, I mean, Rangers is a whole other. You, you're spot on. That it's it's another thing that we've kind of just as Newcastle fans, a lot of Newcastle fans buried their head in the sand. It's Rangers. It's a basket case. Mike Ashley has gone into Rangers and he's seen a, a desperate situation with a desperate club on its knees and he hasn't thought to himself, well, I've got a lot of money, I have some experience in football, how can I make this this once great football club great again? He's thought, how can I make a, a few quid out of this? How can I... Yeah. And it's, yeah, I mean, we're talking like this and, you know, the managers and Kinnear, like you say, you know you're dealing with a bit of a despicable guy, but... It's it's only recently once I've started, uh, you know, listening to the people from the supporters trust, um, looking into things in more detail. Like you start to realise that is this the worst man in football? Is do we have the worst chairman? Now I criticise Ellis Short a lot. A lot of really thick Sunderland fans can't understand that I'm not criticising them. I'm criticising the club. There is a difference. 
So next time you want to have yeah. some massive, you know, forum thing about me, <laughs> the, the things I write, uh, they should just try and remember that fact. I'm not criticising Sunderland fans. I am a bit, but, you know, the club and the fans are two separate entities. Um, but, you know, Ellis Short is really, really bad. Ellis Short's results have been worse than Mike Ashley's on the whole. Which, if you consider how bad Ashley is and Charlie are, like considering supposedly they're trying their best, <laughs> like it's and we're saying Ashley's got a, you know exterior motives. They must be pretty bad at running the football club. At least Newcastle turned a profit. I say at least it doesn't matter, but like Newcastle wants to turn a profit while being useless. Sunderland have lost millions, <laughs> millions and millions of being rubbish. But I just want to talk a little bit now. Last, you know, we're, we're nearly at the end of the show. I don't know how much I've told you, um, Bolland, about my chat with Bob Moncur at the start of the season, um, which I haven't really talked about now, kind of out of respect. But he's come out and said he thought Steve McLaren did a really good job to the Chronicle today. So I kind of feel that I should, you know, I can talk about what we said, um, and from a football perspective anyway. Just that this is a guy who presumably Mike Ashley appointed to the board. Newcastle United legend to people of a certain age, um, captain. You know, won the won the cup. Um, speaks very well about those days and seems to know what he's talking about. Um, so this guy is on the football board in Newcastle United. This is the football board that Mike Ashley says make all of their independent decisions. Bob Moncur told me in a private in a conversation um, in June, July, no, probably August last season when I was negotiating my executive box that I have for work renewal that. Uh, Lee Charnley doesn't speak to him about transfers. Lee Charnley does not speak to Bob Moncay about transfers. He doesn't tell him where he's going. Uh, when we're talking about players coming in, he says he'll try and speak to Lee, and Lee's gone for two days here or there or three days. They do so. So you've got a bloke on this football board who is not kept in the loop regarding transfers. Uh, that's worrying. Um, what's the point of having a board? He also told me that John Carver did a fantastic job. He told me that tactics in football are rubbish. There's no such thing as tactics in football. The team with the best players win. Mourinho, Wenger, all these people who talk about tactics are just lying to the press. Football has nothing to do with tactics. I mean, it quite simply a nonsensical statement. Uh, I understand where he was coming from a little bit that you know the best the team with the best players tend to win. But obviously in the Premier League, it's very hard to determine who has the best players and once you get below a certain level. Would you say that Newcastle's players are any better than West Brom's? Well, yes, you would, but Newcastle find themselves 15 points behind West Brom in the league. Why is that? Considering Steve McLaren did a good job, according to Moncur. So his, his argument of the things he said had absolutely no rationale. It's it's more the fact to me, Bolland, that this bloke is on the football board, this all-powerful football board, who, in the words of Mike Ashley run the club what the hell is going on why are we even sitting here doing a football podcast about about this football club Club alone, he's on the board, man. He's on the board. <laughs> like, what? I don't, I don't understand why. And I, I, did, I heard you say, like, Buddy Lee Charlie doesn't talk to him about transfers, uh, doesn't tell him where he's going. What is the point of Bob Monker then? Like, do you think? I know he was the, the club ambassador. For you know me. what, Bollins? I'll tell you. But we asked that question. The people I was with were just said, "Well, if you don't, if you're not told, if you're not in the loop about transfers or anything important." Why are you? And you know what he said? This is so sad. You know what he said? He said, I'm there to let the board know what the fans think. Oh, God. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, Who is he talking to who's been 
telling him that Steve McLaren did a good job then? <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what, 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 what did you make? What, what, so, so you're basically saying that what you know what uh, what 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 I mean, not that you can always trust these things, but if someone said to the board, if Mike Ashley or Keith Bishop said, "What's the Twitter reaction or the social media reaction been to this appointment?" What are Graham Carr, Lee? Great, you've got Graham Carr, Steve McLaren, um, and Lee Charlie turning to Bob Monk. Bob, <laughs> what would his response be? <laughs> like, yeah, Steve, all the fans love you. There's no, there's no concerns at all. Um, I checked into social media this morning. Which platform? All of them. Just all of them. All the social media platforms. But you know, do you know what's probably quite worrying, and then maybe we're going a bit off topic with this. But like, I, you know, like any major organisation, so. Yours, for example, you'll know what's going on on, the, on social media. Like you'll be able to gauge your customers' sort of like opinion. I, I work in IT. That's like a massive thing at the minute. Is you can figure out sort of the sentiment of people's tweets and sort of gauge how they're reacting. Um, I had a, a story from someone who works in marketing. That in Newcastle's marketing department, there's like three three guys, there's three blokes who work in Newcastle's marketing department. Uh, at Arsenal, I think there's something like 25. Um, so it's, it's hardly surprising that like. The club's just obviously ran shambolically from top to bottom. I don't think anyone anyone's in any doubt about that. Um, oh, well, I'm going to got frustrated with myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, just but like, what is going on? Like, do you think Bob Wonka, if that's his job, is to gauge fan reaction? Do you think he even knows who's doing the social media in your castling scope? And like, what are they saying today? Well, they all hate McLaren still. <laughs> no, no. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Rafa, you're, pro- you're probably not listening to this. I wouldn't blame you either. But do yourself a favour and, and absolutely pie off from this ridiculous basket case of a football club. Like, God, thank God we've got him. C- 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 thank God. As if we went away matches under Steve McLaren, man. As if, as if me, knowing this information, and knowing what we knew about that the trust had gleaned from the strawberry place development and sell-off, as if we'd known what we'd known about Jonas... And we're still like we're going to Norwich in two weeks, because <laughs> like, of, of one man. Uh, but I just quite. Like, you know, like, like Bob Moncur now, ambassador role. Like that's something that someone like Shearer should be doing now. And that's who Rafa Benitez spoke to about coming to the club. Yeah, he wasn't saying when he got unveiled. Like, oh yeah, I spoke to Bob Moncur. I'm feeling pretty confident. Like he spoke to someone outside of the club. Like obviously they're going to do this, but it says also there's quite a lot that he's like I have to get someone's advice who knows the club outside of it because. Probably thinks that the people running it are stupid. Like when Rafa met Lee Charnley, I wonder what went through his head. Like, what are you? Rafa <laughs> used to be the tea boy. Yeah, we've, we've reached we've reached the end of this special podcast slash radio show. Um, so yeah, I suppose more more questions than answers. Um, have probably been brought up from this. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening. Give us a follow at TF Weekly Pod if you really, really like us. You could give leave us a, a nice review on iTunes. Hopefully, the gentleman who said we didn't look into the real problems enough at the club will change his review from a four to a five star review, which is pretty. Nah, I was going to say it's pretty much the reason why we've done this tonight, but we haven't. Um, so yeah, Bolland, thanks very much for your time on a Thursday night. Appreciate it. Am I not getting put on the spot? Oh. We've kind of run out of time, so if you're listening on Radio Northumberland, this will probably get cut off because <laughs> we've gone over the hour. But uh, here we go. Bollins, you say you put on the spot, you put me on the spot now. Um, right. Two, that's, that's the way I work, on, on the front foot. On the front foot. Much, much like Bob Monker, I'd, I'd imagine. Uh, right, so Bollins, yeah. what I want from you are results to these fixtures, okay? So you're you're gonna tell me uh what the results are gonna be. Okay? No you win win, lose or draw or scores. Just 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 win lose just win lose or draw. No thought no thinking I want immediate results, okay? Right. Okay. Norwich away. Win. Win. Yeah. Southampton yeah, away. Southampton away. Lose. Lose. Um Swansea at home? Win Man City at home. Draw. Draw. Uh, Liverpool away. Lose. Palace at home. Win. Win. Uh, Vile away. Win. Win. Spurs at home. 
Lose. No, you said you won't lose. That's the point of being put on the spot, Bolland. You have got Newcastle United. Four wins, one draw. What's that for? 13 points. So we'd end up on, what, 38? Yeah. Probably enough to stay up. Hopefully enough to stay up. Yeah. I think we will stay up. Right. More of this kind of cutting-edge stuff in future on podcasts. Um, <laughs> Bolland has what to stay up when put on the spot. Let's hope it's true. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.